was you've probably figured out we are taking a short break from the gospel series that we've been working on for, uh, I think, eight months now. Uh, we're still going to be talking about the gospel because it's Christmas, but we're going to take a couple weeks to talk about the specific story of Christmas, as you would probably assume we would do. Uh, if you are available, as Cooper said, we have Christmas Eve services. Invite everybody, your worst enemy. Just be like, you should be there, and, and I'll be there. We can glare at you. No, don't do that. But friends, family, invite them. They will hear the gospel. Uh, I, I read something this week that I kind of adapted that I thought was pretty good. It says this. It says, the real Christmas icon in some ways should have been John the Baptist. Instead of a red suit, he would have camel's hair and leather belts, walking around the shopping center shouting, prepare the way of the Lord. And he might be giving out samples of wild locusts and honey for people to try. But people might be a little afraid of his samples because he, he's an interesting guy. If children came to sit on his lap, they would confess that they are indeed sometimes naughty and not always nice. Maybe they would confess their sins to him and ask to be baptized We'd have Christmas gatherings around the baptismal, and people would declare that they were going to follow the Lord, not just during Christmas time, but for the rest of their lives. And their families and friends would truly rejoice in the greatest gift. In a culture of overindulgence and extravagance, it would actually make for a much more joyful Christmas if people responded to the message that he had to say. Imagine a Christmas where you received the gift of eternal life and your sins were forgiven and the real Christmas peace that can only come from God enters your heart. When we talk about the true reason for the season, I think it would have been an amazing way to celebrate if we had John the Baptist as our Christmas icon. We all know that this time of year, as much joy as it brings, it also can become quite muddled can't it? The material things that take over, all of the Black Friday and Cyber Monday sales, and you start to get lost in a lot of these things. I don't know if any of these sound familiar to you, but you start to worry about these things like, whose house are we going to this year? What presents are we going to get the kids? Isn't he too young for a knife? turkey or ham, deviled eggs or the wrong choice? Can Amazon get here in time? I'm going to have to build that thing if we buy that thing. Is everybody going to get along this year? What if weird Uncle Carl starts his thing again? What if the kids don't say thank you to their grandparents? How do we, how's that going to make us look? Do we have AA, AAA, D and C batteries just in case those toys, because if he gets that toy and he can't play with that toy, we're in big trouble. Do you clean up all the wrapping paper as you go, or do you be fun and let it look like Christmas just blew up all over everybody? This time of year can get very chaotic, and we have all of these questions. And I remember when I was growing up, Christmas was crazy because there were I come from a very broken home, and so there were all these different places. I don't know if you've ever been through this, where you got to figure out how to visit like five different families on Christmas or on that 
that couple days. And so I remember we'd go on Christmas Eve, we would go to my stepmother's family's house. And I liked that one because her mom, Frances, was from Arkansas. She was this older lady from the Deep South. And she made the best eggs Benedict I've ever had in my entire life. So we would go there and we'd spend Christmas Eve. But then on Christmas morning, we would go to my dad's biological family because my dad was adopted and he had at some point found his biological family. So we'd go to his biological family Christmas morning. But we could only stay there till like noon because we had other places that we'd need to be. So by the p.m. we go to dad's adoptive family, which was super awkward because they knew something I didn't know at the time that I probably wasn't his kid. That's a whole nother story we can get into another time. In fact, I wasn't his kid. They knew that. I didn't. Super awkward. Okay. After that, I finally got to go spend Christmas with my grandparents, the people who loved and raised me. And by that time, I was just like, Christmas is done. It can get awkward. I don't know if you've ever been there. You've had three or four Christmases Some mom is saying, eat, eat, and you're like, I've already eaten and eaten, and there's just so much going on. It can be messy, and sometimes it can be the hardest part of the year for people. Maybe they've just lost a loved one, and it's the first Christmas that they are without them, and they're feeling that loss so much stronger this season because it's a time of togetherness. Maybe the memories are flooding in and they're having to deal with that. Or maybe some people just don't have the same kind of happy memories of Christmas that many people are blessed with. There's so much to think about. There's so much chaos that can happen. And so let's just breathe for a second. And let's just get back to the basics of why we celebrate Christmas. While we're here together, let's put our focus on what this holiday is really about. And it's about a miraculous story of a virgin with a child. A story that I'm sure that you've all heard, unless you've spent zero time in a church in your entire life. In that case, welcome. So glad that you're here. I'm going to tell you a story. In fact, it's a story that is actually told many, many centuries before it even happened. The prophet Isaiah, 700 years before Christmas morning, tells us that therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be Emmanuel. And Emmanuel literally means God with us. And Isaiah, later in his same book, In the famous Christmas section of scripture, he says, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall rest upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of the peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it, with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Again, 700 years before Christmas morning, Isaiah declares these truths. 
600 years before Christmas morning, Jeremiah says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as the king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called, The Lord is our righteousness. And then we fast forward to the actual morning, actually a few months before Jesus is born, there's still prophecies that are speaking about him. And one of the gospel writers that we've been studying for the past eight months, Luke, tells us of the prophecy coming finally to its fruition in a small family in Israel. And in Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 29, I know I'm reading a lot. But it's so good, guys. It's, so, it's the word of God, and he's telling us about Christmas morning. It says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How is this to be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing is impossible with God. And listen, Mary says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Can we even begin to imagine how wild of a moment this would have been for Mary? Most Bible scholars tell us that she was very young, early teenage years, if not even 12 Now, a young woman in the first century is very different than a young woman now. She has lived her entire life preparing to be a wife and a mother, but still, she's a very young woman. And now she has this angel coming to her, and she she has had an expectation for her life and how it would go. And suddenly, an angel of God comes to her and says, this might not be what you were expecting. In fact, it's not. She's lived her whole life waiting to become a wife and eventually a mother. And now the angel says, okay, we're going to kind of twist things up a little bit here. You're going to become a mother. And as the angel talks to her, a couple things jump out to me. They always do. As I read this story, the angel's statement, do not be afraid. We've talked about this so many times. Over 300 times in the scriptures, it tells us to not live our lives in fear. Do not be afraid. You know, we, we are given a spirit of, of uh, 
self-discipline and, and, and courage and all those things and not a spirit of fear. But he says, do not be afraid. And God is always telling people, don't be afraid. But I would imagine in this moment that Mary is probably thinking, um, sir, I am more terrified than I've ever been in my life. Like, that's great that you say, do not be afraid. But did you know you're an angel and you just talk to me? And so I'm sure she's afraid. And he even tells her that she has specifically found favor with God, which at first sounds really exciting. Like, that's awesome. God recognizes that I'm like a good person. Until you, I think about that, I'm like, wait a minute. God is paying specific attention to me? That's terrifying. And yet, so she's hit with both of these things, and he says, but don't be afraid. Another statement from Gabriel, he says, you will name him Jesus, which literally means Savior. There is no confusion here what he is telling Mary. He's saying you are going to have a child, and he is going to be the Savior of the world. She knows, right? You guys know my thing with that song, Mary, did you know? Yes. Yes, she knew. He's telling her exactly who he will be. And a third statement that Gabriel makes, and I love this, he says, And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Gabriel is letting her know, and he's letting us know through this story, that baby Jesus is not just coming as a savior of the Jewish people in this specific time and place, but he is coming to be the king over the entire kingdom of God for all time. That he will sit upon the throne of David, which is a picture of the authority of God. That he will reign from the house of Jacob. Another sign that he is the Messiah who's been prophesied from the beginning of time. And he will reign over all of God's creation. He is no local false deity. He is not a temporary band-aid for the brokenness of the world. He is actually the creator and sustainer of the world who's coming back into the world to save the world. And the angel makes sure that Mary understands this. Christmas is the celebration of the incarnation. That word incarnation literally just means to put meat on. Just such a weird word, isn't it? Incarnate. Love carne asada. Mm, okay. I've made that joke too many times. Okay. Carne, to put meat on God, comes and he puts flesh on in his own creation so that he might save us from the brokenness. And I think we need to make sure that we aren't missing the focus of this day and this season. It's not even about a specific day of the year. Church tradition tells us that we remember the birth of Christ on the 25th of December. But the reality is that Jesus was probably born sometime in the springtime. Neither the shepherds nor the sheep would have been out in the fields in the middle of the deep winter. But the specific day doesn't matter. It's not important. What matters is that we gather together to celebrate Christ. The actual day is lost to history, but the reality of Christmas actually took place. Whether it was a bleak winter day or a spring morning during the heat of the summer or an autumn, Christ was born. 
and we know it was in the evening. We know it was in Bethlehem. We knew we know that it happened in a dirty stable where the animals were kept. And the Son of God, who should have come in glory, comes in the most humble of circumstances. The reality of Christmas happened not in a palace or even in a hospital. Not in any kind of suitable venue. It takes place in a stable. And that's an important message because it shows us right from the beginning there is no place too common for Jesus. No circumstance that is beneath him. He comes in in the most humble of possible ways. His whole life from birth to resurrection and even up until this moment is the reason that we gather to celebrate on Christmas. Now, as I was praying this week about like what to talk about, I was thinking a lot about this. Like Next week, there's going to be a lot of people here and a lot of people in churches all over the world that may only go to church on that day. Or maybe they come on Easter, right? The CEOs, the Christmas and Easter only Christians. And when they come, I'm going to share the gospel message with them, and I'm going to be so glad that they come, and I'm going to be so glad that churches all over the world are full of people that maybe don't normally get to hear that message, and God is going to speak to them, and I pray that he will bring them closer to himself and change their lives, and that they will give their, their lives to Jesus. But those of you who are here today, unless you just happen to be a guest today, in which case, welcome. You probably go to church regularly. This isn't a new message to you. Jesus is a big part of your life. And so I started to think about what I want to share with you this week. And it hit me. And I'm not going to do the, the generic thing. We can always talk about how Christmas has become so materialistic. right? How it's just become all about money and cyber deals and Good Fridays and, and all those things. And in many ways, those things have become the object of worship more than Jesus himself. And that's all true. But there's another idol in Christmas that I think we may be a little more given to. And somebody's going to hate this. I'm sorry. But I think there's some idols that we give into, even as people that go to church regularly, even as people who love Jesus, we give in to these idols, and I would call them the idols of tradition and nostalgia. Where Christmas, again, we might know on this top level that it's about Jesus, but as we actually celebrate Christmas, what we're worried about is our family traditions or the nostalgic things that bring up those feelings that we want to have during this season. There are times when we're far more concerned about making sure that our families fulfill our ideals of what Christmas should be than we are about celebrating Christ. I'm not saying that family's not important. It absolutely is. It's great that we can gather, that we can travel to be with family and all of those things. But there are these things that I hear people say from time to time that make me just realize like, what is this actually about? Maybe I might hear somebody say, if we're not all together, Christmas is ruined. 
right? Maybe you're in that season of life where you have to share your kids and maybe even your grandkids with some in-laws and secretly you hate that. Maybe not so secretly. And so you start thinking, man, if I can't be with my whole family, if we can't have our traditions, then what's even the point of this? As if that is the point of Christmas. As if that is why we gather. Or maybe you might be worried that everyone is just getting along on Christmas Day. I don't know how your family is on Christmas morning. or Now that I have just me and my wife and kids, like, it's so good. I'm so happy. Like, I'm sorry to say that, but I'm so happy, just us. Because when I was growing up, it was like misogynist uncle and feminist aunt are just yelling at each other and dr- people are drinking and things are escalating and everyone's freaking out. And, and, and so it says, ah, you're ruining Christmas. As if that's what Christmas is about. Everyone has to just love each other. And can't we all just get along? Right? Is that what Christmas is about? Or maybe you usually go on vacation during this time of year and you can't for some reason. Or maybe somebody didn't make deviled eggs and Christmas is ruined. You didn't get the present that you wanted, kids. I like how they all snow. What? You haven't got a chance to watch your all-time favorite Christmas movie yet, so you're like, it's not even Christmas. Maybe money's just tight this year because of the state of our world, and you can't do the normal things that you would normally do, and so you start saying, it just doesn't feel like Christmas. I get all that. But here's the thing. Ultimately, Christmas isn't about family traditions. It's not about the material possessions. It's not even about Christmas dinner or vacation or nostalgic movies and songs or anything like that. We have, listen, if you've tuned me out, come back to me. We have this incredible opportunity at this time of year to celebrate Jesus openly in front of the entire world. A world that is usually very shut down and guarded against anything spiritual, hearing about God, anything about faith, hearing anything about Jesus. But we have a few weeks of year, and I know this has changed over time, but still, we have a few weeks a year where we can celebrate Jesus openly to the entire world, and people might be a little more open to hearing about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you can have signs on your house that say Jesus and all that stuff, and people are like, oh, cool decoration, rather than you're a religious fanatic or whatever it is. We have this amazing opportunity to celebrate Jesus in the great wide open. And we can share why we believe Christmas is a real thing and that it is celebrating a real Savior that actually came to redeem humanity. We can invite them to come to Christmas services at churches where they will help, hopefully, all, all over the whole world hear the gospel truth. We can tell our children the truth about Christmas, that it's about Jesus and not about all these traditions, and we can make sure that we are modeling 
the real reason why we celebrate. We can openly celebrate this holiday, this holy day, where the central focus is and should be that God came and became incarnate as a child. And the world may be more open to it during this season than they ever would be. Christmas is celebrated all over the world in 160 countries worldwide. Christmas is celebrated. And some of them definitely lose what it's about. And you can read people from other countries and they'll say, what's Christmas is about? And they'll say it's about presents and shopping and all that stuff. But we know the truth. The capital T truth of the gospel. And we can celebrate the gospel and share it with people. And so we join with people all over the world. All over this world that the Lord has created. And hopefully we can take our focus off of the material and the food and the decoration. And even our traditions and our feelings of nostalgia. And we can remember that even though it sounds a little bit cliche at this point. Jesus is the reason for the season. Amen? Would you pray with me as the big, huge team comes back up? God, we thank you that we get to spend this whole next week leading up to Christmas worshiping you, praising you, preparing the way for you to enter into our hearts and enter into this world as we celebrate that. And I pray right now, Lord, not just for our church, but churches all over Bozeman and the Gallatin Valley and Montana and the United States and all over the world, that people will be welcomed in to churches and into home churches and into small groups where they might hear the gospel, where they might hear the truth that this holiday is a celebration of all that you are. A celebration that you were born into this world as Emmanuel and as Messiah, Savior, so that they might have a relationship with their Father. We thank you for the chance to worship you today and this whole week. And I pray that as we gather together as this church family on Christmas Eve, that we would have an amazing time bringing praise and honor to your name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.